Hey, hey, welcome to Sunday Messages with Fairmount Friends Church. So glad to have you with us today. You can learn more on our website, fairmountfriends.church, or find our church app on Tithely. Let's go. Amen. Good morning, church. I share a message to you this morning about how just to bring Jesus into our everyday life and really want to encourage us that we would bring our best self and perhaps our most fearless self into 2024. And I need two guys to help me preach this message this morning. One who is a pillar in church history and two, one who is a pillar in American history. We're going to go with the Apostle Paul and the President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Here's a little bit of background on President Roosevelt, and then we'll go to a lot of background on the Apostle Paul. Franklin Roosevelt, on this date in history, actually it was yesterday, it was January 20th, 1945, he was elected for his fourth term as the United States president. The only president in American history who has been elected for that office four times. At the height of the Great Depression, He was then the governor in New York, and they loved his leadership as he was coming up, and whenever he was inaugurated as the 32nd president of the United States, he promised Americans in his inaugural speech, he said this, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And as he was coming through and he went into his second term and into his third term, and we were then moving into the, uh, the great World War II, and they said, we cannot move away from such a strong leader that just has iron in his spirit and steel in his spine. We need somebody who can lead us through. So they elected him a third time and a fourth time, and it wasn't until he passed away two months into his fourth election that they finally put in the 22nd Amendment saying, okay, you can only be elected two times because this guy, he's going to be here forever. There was such uh, a movement, especially in America, as he was trying to awaken Americans from slumber to engage, and he saw all the power begin to shift because of strong leadership. I wonder if the same is true of us as if we had some strong leadership in yourself that would say, man, I'm tired of living in fear, and it's time for me to bust through. It's time for me to power through and become the best version that God has created me to become. And I want to talk about the Apostle Paul who lived fearless, who knew who he was, and who lived fearless in the face of death and persecution and threats and scorn and shame. He was a man that was able to shed all of that and walk full of faith into the promises that God had called him into. We can't live this Christian life and be subject to fear because it will eliminate the calling that God has put upon our lives. Fear will be the greatest limiting factor of your life's impact. Fear will be the greatest limiting factor of your life's impact. Let me remind you who we are called to be and what we're called to do. You've been called to be the light of the world. You're the salt of 
the earth. You're like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We're called in Matthew chapter 28 to preach the gospel to all of the world and baptize them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're called to, to lead our families well. We're called to lead in our communities well. Sometimes you even feel that calling of God, and as he's saying, reach out to that person at the grocery store, and you feel it, and you feel like that's negotiable. Eh, no, God, I don't know. They're kind of busy, and, you know, it's cold out, and we all just want to go home. And, and he said, hey, not only do I want you to talk to them, I want you to buy the groceries of the person behind you. Eh, I don't know, God, it's kind of tight, and I don't really trust you, so um, no. And we think that the all-powerful, sovereign one, what he has to say with us, we have the option of whether we want to obey him. We proclaim on Sunday morning that he's Lord, and Lord means sovereign owner. We proclaim that he's the sovereign owner of my life, but we don't really fully live it because we're a little bit nervous or we're not fully confident that he's going to meet us if we step out. How many of y'all know sometimes listening to the Holy Spirit is very inconvenient, especially if you're a productive American? I got to go. I ain't got time just to stand around and wait for God to do something. And so one of the blockers, I believe, of us witnessing and stepping into the fullness of sharing our faith and being the salt and the light in the earth today is the fear of man. Is we have fear, what's their reaction? What are they going to say? Will they like us? Will I still be invited to sit at that lunch table if I make a stand for Jesus? Speaking of lunch tables, there was a pretty big lunch table that we see recorded in history. It was a pretty famous dinner that turned out to be an infamous dinner. It was the Last Supper. And Jesus is sitting there with his guys, the very guys that he's poured into for a third of a decade. He's poured his guts into these guys. And then he says, hey guys, the time has come. I'm about to go. And, and, uh, and the Son of Man, he's going to be like totally killed and crucified here. And you're going to deny me. It's the one that's dipping his bread into the glass of wine with me right now. It's, it's, it's going to be you. And you're going to deny me. And then we see as they walk out of there that, that Peter, the very next day, he denies Jesus three times. And isn't it funny, isn't it interesting that it's this rooster that reminds Peter that he just denied Jesus. It's a chicken. It's a form of a chicken. Isn't that funny? Don't let the humor be lost on you. It's funny. It's a chicken. As kids, we would make fun of each other. Oh, you're too chicken. You won't jump your bike over that ramp. You're too chicken. You won't jump off of whatever. And you're a chicken. And it's a rooster. It's, it's, the, it's the chief of all chickens, says. I'm going to remind you. And so if you ever have those times where you feel like you're a chicken and you can't stand for Jesus, you're in good company. The Apostle Peter was also in that company at one point, and he got stirred. He had an encounter with Jesus, and something came up on the inside of him to where he was willing to give his life for something. He was burdened with something. But I know this, that what God has put in us, a prophetic gift from the Lord, a supernatural awakening of the human heart. Let me tell you something. Salvation does not come because we have cool church services, because the pastor's kind of slick and he says it in a certain way. Salvation only comes by the supernatural movement of the Holy Spirit upon the human heart. And he causes it to come alive and to respond to him like it never has before. The Bible says that we're dead in our sins. And it takes the Holy Spirit defibrillator from heaven to come in and go, 
boom, and we respond, I am alive, and I'm ready to respond to the one who has caused me to come alive to him. It's not a cool church service. It is the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you this, when the Holy Spirit begins, not just to cause you to come alive, but then calls you to play and have some fun and do ministry with him. What the enemy wants to do, man, he wants to snuff that out as soon as it hits your spirit. Your, your inner womb, if you will, he wants to abort that baby as fast as possible. And so you got this little prophetic baby sitting inside of you, and he's saying, come on, let's talk. Let's reach out. Go out to your coworker. Hey, make a stand in the locker room. Hey, you're on the school bus. I want you to really go for it. Hey, there's a prophetic word in the boardroom, and I want you to go. Come on, you want to play in this thing? It's not just about showing up to church at 1030. Like, I want this whole thing to be your lifestyle to where you're doing ministry with me. And you start negotiating with that thing. That negotiation is, should I abort this baby? Or should I let this thing come out and live? And the enemy wants to snuff it out as soon as it hits your spirit. And we want to start bringing life to the life that is inside of us, let it out, okay? Charles Spurgeon said this, the gospel of God does not need to be defended. It's like a caged lion. It just simply needs to be let out of its cage. And Christian, can I just tell you, it is time to open the cage and let the lion roar with full of confidence, knowing who you are. Can I also tell you this, the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit of God, let, let this sink upon you. Jesus dies, okay? And he's about to be resurrected. What is it? What is it that resurrects Jesus? The Holy Spirit of God descends, comes upon the God-man and awakens his mortal body. Boom! And causes Jesus to come alive again. And he says the same spirit, that same one that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now dwells inside of you. Woo! That's enough to make you want to quake, like a Quaker. That'll make you want to shake. That'll want to make you want to get your shaker on. Because there's good news. There is a Holy Spirit power. You don't have to do this thing on your own. You can do this thing through the power of the Holy Spirit. Some ways that the enemy wants to snuff this baby out is he wants to send some little lies. You just don't have the personality for it. That's just not my personality. I'm not the outgoing type. It's just, not, it's just not me. Can I just tell you, Jesus didn't ask you if you have a cool personality. Then you can obey. He didn't say only if you're outgoing. Then you have the option if you want to obey. Well, I don't always feel like I, I know enough. Jesus didn't ask. Let me see all your degrees on the wall before you're ever able to be effective in the kingdom. Well, I, I just don't know if, if you know, now if, he'll, he'll try to send us lies. And he'll try to, 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 to trigger our negotiator to want to, but not really. Or do you ever say, do you ever tell stories about the things that you almost did? Anybody? Man, we went on this trip and we were like, we were, we were I don't know, like on this mountain. And you could do like cliff jumps. And people were jumping off. And man, man, we almost did it, man. It was incredible. It was so cool. We almost, we almost jumped. It was like 30 feet and people were doing it. And it was incredible. Oh, you should have seen it. Did you guys do it? No, but we almost did. We almost. Man, I was invited this one time to go to this one place and with this one group of people. And man, it would have been so cool. Cool, did you go? No, but I almost did. 
you know what? The Holy Spirit came upon me, the same spirit that raised up Jesus, and then he said, let's go do the stuff. Let's go, let's go make this stuff happen. Like John Wimber, John Wimber, who was raised in the Quaker church, who was a pastor of the friend, in a friend's church, he goes, I just want to do the stuff. I want to make this stuff happen, right? And he started talking about this idea of doing the stuff. And he's like, hey, you know, God called me to like reach out to my coworker, and he just, I got, a, I got like, I just want to love on them. I want to start showing them Jesus. I want to invite them. And I almost did it. Did you do it? No, I didn't, but I almost did. I've heard it said like almost only counts. Like what is it? Horseshoes, hand grenades. It doesn't quite count as full obedience. Amen. I almost, I almost started that business. I talked about it a lot. But I didn't. I almost did the things that God called me to. And let's move past almost into actual. And let's not live with fear. Let's not let fear govern another day of our lives. So if I, if I hear it, I want to listen. I can do it scared. I can do it nervous. But I want to do it. And I want to power through it. And Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 14. This is the Apostle Paul writing. The Apostle Paul is writing to the people in Rome. And he says, I am obligated by both Greeks and by non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I want you to just kind of highlight this. I'm, I'm eager to preach the gospel also, meaning that there's I want to do this also to other people. So he's been doing this in other places, okay? And also I want to come to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and then the Gentile. For the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, this is quite a statement from the Apostle Paul saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, especially when we take a look back into the portfolio of Paul's resume. We begin to see what is it that Paul had to go through, and he goes, I'm just not really ashamed of this. It's a statement because at one point he was snuck over a wall in Damascus. He had been stoned and left for dead in Lystria or Lystra. He had been beaten and arrested and put in jail in Philippi. He had been chased out of Thessalonica and he had been laughed out of Athens and he was nearly torn to pieces in Jerusalem because he preached the gospel. And he goes... I ain't scared. I, I'm not afraid. I'm unmoved. None of these things move me. I'm unapologetic and I'm unashamed about the call of God upon my life. Oh, I didn't get invited back to the lunch table. As he's got broken legs and arms and bones and he's limping to the next city so he can do it all again. This dude was such a baller. He was, he was so unmoved by anything in the outside world. The Apostle Paul. This man was unstoppable. What does it take? What does it take for a church to be so gripped by a people of God, to be so moved 
by who this guy is, that they're unstoppable in front of the, let's just think about this for a minute, the political regime, the military regime of Rome, the religious leaders of Judea, the, the, the haters of Thessalonica, the sinfulness of Corinthians. And yet he goes, I'm just unstoppable. I've been gripped by something much deeper. There's just something that matters. Unintimidated, single-minded, not a single human being could get in the way of the Apostle Paul. Not a single situation could get in the way of the Apostle Paul. And whenever I read this, I think, is this guy asinine? Is he just a complete idiot? Like, do you need to slow down a little bit? What is going on inside of him that he would have joy saying the very thing that I do that will wipe me out and take my life brings so much joy I can't wait. He goes, with eagerness, with eagerness, Romans, I can't wait to be with you. Why? Because I want to share the gospel with you and I'm going to die and I'm pumped. What is this life? It is nothing to me. I consider it all rubbish, but I want to preach the gospel. Oh, he was good. He was moved. What was Paul not ashamed about? Here's a couple things. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because it is good news. Think about this. Think about Jesus Christ. The good news is he forgives of sin. This is good news. He sets us free. You know that pit in your belly of guilt and shame of your past? He sets us free. It's good news. He washes us of all of the old, and behold, he's making all things new. This is, this is good news. I want to I bring good news. Why do I have to be bummed about? What is it that you got to be scared about at the water cooler at work? What is it that you need to be nervous about whenever you're bringing good news to someone? If you have cancer, and the doctor says that you're going to die, and then you come back in for a different report, and you, you hear later, you've been healed, and you have no more cancer. The good news is you have no more cancer. Would you be ashamed? Like, I really probably shouldn't tell this to anybody. You'd be, woo baby! I'm cancer-free. I've been washed. I've been cleaned. I've been healed. I've been set free. I've got some good news. I'm not bummed about this. I'm not scared. I want to share Good news. The, the Apostle Paul said, I've got good news. This isn't a bad thing that you can be set free. What's at stake for Paul here as he's going into Rome? Think about what's happening here in Rome. Maybe he wouldn't want to share the gospel because this is in Rome. This is 60 AD. Just the sheer size, the glitz and the glamour and the pomp could be very intimidating. It would be like you walking into downtown Times Square, New York City of its day. This was Rome. This was the, this was the metroplex of the world. All of the world was ruled by Rome at this time. You look around and you think, surely no one cares about anything that I have to say. There's no need here. There's no lack here. Everything they have. You're walking in. Here's the Forum. Here's the Colosseum. These people are barbarians just for their own entertainment. They'll pit two warriors together and they fight until they beat each other to death. And we all go, woo, this was Rome. And Paul's going to walk in there and say, I got some good news. I got some good news. Jesus really likes you and he wants to have a relationship with you. 
it'd be a little intimidating. It's got the latest shopping malls. Incredible food and markets are popping up all over. It was the Carmel of Indiana. It was Rome. It's not just another cool European city either. It was the center of the universe at this time. I just want to pose this question. Do you ever get intimidated by people who have it all together? Do you ever get intimidated to share your faith or to make a stance by those people? They've got it all. That's the business leader. That's the, that's the doctor. That's the high-level farmer. That's the CFO. So the Apostle Paul, he comes into Rome and he's thinking, man, I've also got this tough news of the gospel because Rome would have likened his message unto it's a Jewish carpenter boy who comes into the city and we kill him. We win. Terrible story, bro. Um, I remember I hung him on a tree. Um, he's not a champion. He's not awesome. It was the very thing that Rome did is they created painful ways. They created the crucifixion. So all the notorious criminals would go up to the cross. And the apostle Paul says, I've got a hero for you. It's the guy that you crucified. Also, you go into Rome. And this is where there's the heavy hitters and the philosophers. These guys who think and these guys who are intellectual and who are unbelievable brains. The Apostle Paul had to be so ambidextrous to where he had to talk to the uneducated and unintellectual. And then he had to go into the forum and debate with all of the intellects. And to be able to hang in his theology with both. He had to do both. And he could do both well. He had to stand against the pastors and the prophets and the priests and the religious leaders of the day. And then be able to hang with like Jesus at the woman at the well. He had to be able to do both of these things. And so he's going in to talk to mega philosophers. In fact, the pagans of Rome, they referred to Christians as atheists or atheists. And you think, why were Christians called atheists? An atheist is someone who doesn't believe in God because the Rome, they made the rules. You don't believe in our gods. You believe in a different God. Therefore, you don't believe in a good, true God. So you're an atheist. So Paul has this monstrous task. It's the big and the prestigious and, and all of the lunch tables I was never allowed to sit at and all of this glitz and glamour and all these people that are trying to wipe Christians out and you killed our Savior. And I'm going to walk into that place and he goes, with eagerness, I can't wait to show up. Woo, let's go, let's go. You know why? Because I've got some good news and you guys are going to beat me, beat the snot out of me for it. And I'm pumped. I can't wait. There's something inside of me that's just ready for this moment. Can we just say that Paul definitely didn't get moved by being rejected by man? Paul did not, that did not move the dial inside of his heart. He was pretty used to being rejected by people. Sometimes we just got to get rejection over with. One of the best things that happened to me by learning to ride a bike is I fell. And once you fall, you realize, oh, it wasn't that bad. Hop back on the bike and let's go. And then 40 years of riding a bike. Sometimes we just need to get past that first little trip up and say, oh, I'm still alive and I'm still good. Trust me, you're not going to go through anything the Apostle Paul went through. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. We can make it. 
Paul would say, hey, I'm not ashamed to bring you some good news. Next, Paul's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation. Why should I be afraid of something that's so powerful? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Rome was all about power. Rome controlled all of the power. Rome was a militia that was marching through the land with all of the power. If Caesar Augustus calls something, everybody has to move and do it. This one time he called a census of all of the world. I want to know how many people are on the planet. And guess what? You had to act. That's why Mary and Joseph, get on your donkey, go back to your homeland, and register with your people where you came from. All of the world had to pivot and shift. And he figured out there's like 65 million people who will listen to his voice. Caesar had the power and the authority to do whatever he wanted. Rome listened to no one. And the itty-bitty tiny apostle Paul is going to say, I'll tell you what power is. And it's not in your governments, and it's not in your coliseum, and it's not in your warriors. It's not in your great militia or your army. It's It's not in your robust economy. None of that stuff will save you. But I'll tell you, the gospel of the good news is the power of God. It's not like the power of God. It is the power of God to salvation. He comes in with a power message, and he's unapologetically standing against them in their message. There Actually, there was a Roman philosopher in the day, um, Seneca, and he said this, Rome is a cesspool of iniquity. And Paul was heading right into the cesspool, and he says, I'm not ashamed. I've got one message, and it will change people's lives. It'll bring you to salvation. Another reason I believe that Paul was not ashamed is the gospel that is freely given. It's for everyone. This would have been radical, especially back then in Rome, because this was a message that had historically just been for the Jews. And now Paul goes, it's not for the Jews or the Gentiles or to the Greeks or to the Romans or to the the non-Greeks. He goes, it's for everybody. It's for the prestigious person. It's for the woman at the well. It's for everybody. He comes in and goes, I get good news. It's power to salvation, and it's for all y'all. Everybody can get in on this message if you just receive it. And lastly, I can just hear Paul ask, why would I be ashamed of making people right with God? I'm not ashamed of that. Lastly, it is the righteousness of God. It's the righteousness of God. That would then lead us into salvation with him. And Paul is bought in. He's at a high level of buying into this message. And I just want to ask you, are you totally bought in to where you could punt personality? You could punt excuses. You could punt, well, I'm in a hurry. You could punt all of those other things and say, I am bought in. There is a reason why I am on this planet. There's more, and if I can get past my little failures and my fears and my little hiccups and just burn with I've got a message of good news, and it's for everybody, and it's the power that will lead you to salvation, and it'll make you righteous before God. Buy into this as the Apostle Paul has bought in. So I circle back here to the beginning, President Franklin D. Roosevelt. Franklin D. Roosevelt was the kind of leader that could rally people's hearts and harness all of their bravery and say, let's go kick the world's butt. 
Let's go be world champions. And if he could do it about something about fighting over land, could we not do it for fighting for the kingdom of God? During his second term, President Roosevelt became increasingly concerned with Germany and the Japanese aggression and began a long campaign of awakening America from its isolationist slumber. And in 1940, isolation means I just live on an island. I just want to be me. And if that's your approach, when you live your life, I'm just going to work, I'm keeping my head down. I'm going to the grocery store with my head down. I'm going into everywhere I go to the ball game. I'm never sitting by anybody new. I'm going to sit right here. And I'm not interested in connecting with anybody who's far from God. I'm going to sit right here. I'm going to do my thing. And Roosevelt said, if you're an isolationist, then we've got to wake you up from your slumber and get checked into the game. There's a little something else going on that's much deeper. In 1940, with World War II raging in Europe and the Pacific, Roosevelt agreed to run for an unprecedented third term at this time, re-elected by Americans who valued his strong leadership, so proved a highly effective commander-in-chief during the World War II. Under his guidance, America became, in his own words, the great arsenal of democracy and succeeded in shifting the balance of power in World War II to the Allies. He said this, we must be the great arsenal of democracy. For us, this is an emergency as serious as war itself. We must apply ourselves to the task. And can I tell you, the task, Christian soldier, is to share the good news of the gospel. It's to be, it's to bring your best self into this next year this next year, your best fearless self to the game. For us, this is an emergency as serious as war itself. We must apply ourselves to the task with the same resolution, the same sense of urgency, the same spirit of patriotism and sacrifice as we would show were we in war. In 1944, with a war not yet won, Roosevelt was then elected again for his fourth term. Three months after his inauguration, he had passed away. An unparalleled 13 years as the president of the United States, getting us through some of the most fearful times. He rallied to have some of our most courageous acts to make a stand. Here's a couple of vision points. If you could say, man, this is how I want to bust through this year. This is what I want to go to this year. Perhaps it's just, God, I want to listen. Holy Spirit, I know you're always talking. And right now, I know we're talking about business here at the boardroom, but do you have any insight? Do you want to speak? And you just start speaking, you get a prophetic word. We were in an all-staff meeting just a few weeks ago, and somebody is speaking, and I just hear the voice of the Lord. It's just like, hey, just pause, pump the brakes here on this thing, because I just want to do a little bit of ministry. I said, hey, can we just, just stop just for a second? And I start speaking into one of the team's lives. It's Susan. Susan Ealing, she's, she lives in Bluffton, but she's actually watching even right now. And Susan, we're praying for her and for Lynn, her husband. And say, hey, I just think that God just wants to talk right now, and he's saying this to you. I'll tell you, there was, a, there was a silence over the room. The Holy Spirit begins to move upon her heart. Emotions are moving. The whole thing is just, just flowing. And it may not always look like that for you. 
But what if you're in the locker room and you start talking to one of your buddies or to one of your kids? What if you're out at, at you know, and you're visiting somebody else's farm and you just he'll hear God just talking? It's like, hey, I just think that God wants to, all of a sudden, you just begin to practice, get some reps in of practicing God speaking through your life. That would be an awesome goal for you to have this year. God, I want to speak whenever you speak. How about this one? You got a goal, I just want to lead one person to the Lord this year. I want to lead one person. I want to present the gospel of good news. And I want that to be a response where they would say, yes, I want this. And just ask forgiveness that the Lord would forgive them and we lead them to the Lord this year. Can you have a goal of one? How about bring one new person to life group? How about bring one new person to women's group or to men's group that you would be intentional? It's not just enough for me to show up anymore. I need to start bringing a crew. I need to start bringing my people so they can hear the power of the gospel of God. As FDR, he lays out this passionate plea. I echo his words of the same spirit of evangelism. We must apply ourselves to our task with the same resolution and the same sense of urgency, the same patriotism and sacrifice as we would if we were at war. Come on, Quakers. Let's get something going on the inside of us, and let's burn with an urgency, like the Apostle Paul said, with eagerness. I'm going to walk into the lion's den, and I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we're asking you right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you come upon us? Would you motivate your bride? Would you cause us to come alive, fearless this year, with a boldness, with a confidence to reach our neighbor, to reach our friends, to, to reach coworkers, to reach people across the street, to reach our family members, that we would no longer just think it's enough just to attend church, but that we would do the stuff and live this life fully alive as a witness for you by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Grateful you were with us today. Be sure to subscribe and rate us so other people can know about the podcast. Join us on a Sunday morning in Fairmount or find our live stream on YouTube, our website, fairmountfriends.church, or our church app on Tithely. See you soon.